everyone and welcome back to the football rewind for another week of football news we had so much that has broken in the last week there's just so much to talk about there's this is such an interesting period of change in the NFL and so it's just really interesting to cover everyone's changing there's rumors flying about you have the Rumors that are flying around not only in free agency, but then the rumors leading up to the draft. We had the combine this past weekend. You have the draft, of course, in April. And so there's just possibilities abound. And so uh, we're going to talk about that today. First, I'll address the fact that this is a day late. Obviously, this is a Wednesday when we're pushing this out here. And uh, I can't say the exact reason why uh, I, I have some interesting things in the works as far as career and job opportunities go, and uh, I will announce that after the process is over, but there's there's some interesting developments on the radio side of things, on the football side of things, uh, and so so I've just been busy the last couple of days. Uh, I was going to call a softball game for Lindenwood. They had a doubleheader yesterday, and so I get out there. And the start time was 2 o'clock, and they decided they were going to start the game a half hour early to beat some weather. And so we get into the game, no more than maybe three or four pitches into the game. It starts very lightly snowing, like almost like absent that you can't even tell. And keep in mind, too, our equipment is set up to the right of the press box. press box isn't big enough to hold both of us, so the PA and... Uh, the uh, scores officials and whatnot, they they need the press box seat. So we're out in the elements to the right, and it's like mid-40s, so it's not deathly cold out by any means. But when you're sitting there for three, four hours at a time, obviously it's cold. So I'm sitting there in my coat, bundled up, and we're four or five pitches into this thing, and it just continuously kind of keeps, keeps on going. It, it, it gets a little harder and a little harder and a little harder to the point where now I'm seeing it come down in in front of us, and it's like this snow snowy sleet combination uh and it's blowing right in from center field too because when i what i saw on the radar i didn't see anything about this snow on the weather app on my iphone but i did see that there was going to be a lot of wind and the lubrock sports complex out in st charles is windy to begin with okay guys it is windy there on a sunny day when it's 70 degrees out okay so when you have windy conditions to begin with Plus the fact that all of a sudden this snow sleet that's going off and on comes out of nowhere. It's blowing in at us from center field, getting on the equipment. They're trying to cover up, the producers are, cover up the camera and the broadcast equipment in trash bags. And meanwhile, I'm trying to see through all this through my glasses to try and call the game and try to chart the game using the scorecard. And it is just a mess. We get to the bottom of the first inning, like five pitches in, and finally... Uh, uh, one of my bosses comes over and he's like, you know what, we we, we got to cut it. We can't get the equipment wet. Because it, it just kept pro- pro- progressively coming down harder and harder. It seemed like it was one of those level games you play where every 30 seconds it would get more intense than the 30 seconds previous. So it was... <laughs> that That's my story from yesterday. That It was it was pretty wild. Uh, that That's so... There's some, there's some Midwestern weather for you. Uh, on the football side of things... We'll finally begin the podcast now that you know what's going on in my life. Uh, let's not bury the lead here. Kirk Cousins, there's been a lot of misinformation on this topic. 
Uh, Kirk Cousins is going to be an impending free agent. The new league year starts on March 14th, but Colby, front of the podcast recurring guest and a longtime Vikings fan, has just been buried in this story for the last couple weeks. <laughs> I was talking to him on the phone earlier today. He, I, The direct quote was, it's all I've done, is read Cousins' stories, and he is so familiar with the situation. So it's honestly kind of nice for me because he has a lot of expertise on the subject. So he was talking to me about it today and there's a lot of, there's been a lot of misinformation on it. So first it's, it seems like he's going to a new team every day. It was the Browns. It was the Broncos. It's the Vikings. It's the Jets. It seems like it's a new suitor every day for Kirk Cousins. Then I think it was either Schefter or Rappaport that reported that it's down to pretty much four teams. And I think it was the Cardinals, Vikings, Jets. And then the one surprise to me was the Cardinals. Uh, then it was reported that the Broncos basically were out. And the Broncos have to be a little bit more creative than do the other teams, I think. The Jets and the Vikings have a little bit more cap space. The Broncos, if I'm not mistaken, are sitting around like $23 million, $28 million maybe, somewhere in that range. And so they were going to have to potentially get rid of one of Kirk's weapons and Sanders or DT or trade or get rid of Aqib Tlaib's contract. That was another popular player that they had thought about parting ways with to give themselves a little bit more flexibility with the cap. Now, you say, well, well, Kirk Cousins is going to be making over th- like 30 mil a year, something like that, high 20s, and how do you make that work against the cap? Well, there, there are ways that he can get his money to where it's a little bit more team-friendly. And when people see just the flat rate, the flat amount that the contract is for, a lot of people just assume that you're going to divide that evenly over however many years the deal was, and that's how he's going to make, that's how much he's going to make. Well, you can you can backtrack that to uh, have him make less earlier on and more towards the end so he doesn't have as much of a cap hit earlier on. You can give him a lot of that money in signing bonuses. Not all that money is guaranteed. Some of them are more incentive-laden. Obviously, guaranteed money is a huge thing a huge topic of discussion and debate in the NFL. So there's a lot of different things you can do. So when you just look at the Broncos and say, well, they don't have a lot of cap space, how in the world are they going to bring in the top free agent quarterback on the market in a a league where so much of a financial emphasis is placed on the quarterbacks like Matt Stafford and Derek Carr, great recent examples of that. And Aaron Rodgers and Matt Ryan, uh, I've heard are going to get extensions here soon and will have probably some astronomical numbers attached to those deals as well. But getting back on track to the Cousins thing, so put that out of your mind. There's different different ways they can do it to make it work. So don't put a team like, well, I don't think he's going to go there because of the space. Yes, that presents a, a challenge for the Broncos that the, perhaps the Vikings and the Jets don't have. But there have been several reports. Well, the Broncos are out on Kirk Cousins. I've heard that's. I've then I've heard people say that's not true. I've heard Kirk Cousins. People close to Kirk Cousins say he hasn't ruled anybody out. I've heard the Jets are going to offer him a fortune. And there was a report today that the Vikings actually offered Kirk Cousins ninety-one million dollars across a three-year deal. So Kirk Cousins has a birthday in August. I looked it up. He's twenty-nine right now. So this will be his age thirty season. Uh. Kirk Cousins only wants the three-year deal because, according to Colby and some of the sources that I've heard and that he's read, Kirk Cousins wants to kind of double-dip this thing. So if he gets $30 million a year across three years, then he'll be 33, and he would presumably be in line to again make a fortune 
off being a franchise quarterback, a fringe top 10 to 12 guy. So that's been a report that's out there. I have also, though, since then, the report was never verified, A. People like to just pick these stories up and run with it because you want to be first, and that's what just absolutely drives me crazy about the field I'm in and sports journalism as a whole is that everybody wants to be first and nobody wants to be right. Be right, please. If you're ever going to report a story, just be right. Make sure you're right. Don't be one of those people that one person reports on a story, you don't verify it, you run with it, then it's wrong, and you end up looking like an idiot. You lose complete credibility. It only takes you screwing that up one time before nobody trusts what you say again. So please, if you are a reporter or a journalist, like I, I haven't even been in the field very long, and I can tell you already, that is like the cardinal rule. Like, Please don't do that. I think it's one of the biggest problems in sports journalism today, the sensationalism journalism and the desire to be first or to have it. I don't even understand like why that's a big thing because you want the credibility for your company because you think that's a credential on your part. That if you were the one to break its story, I guess. I, don't, I feel like nobody gets hired and fired based on whether or not they broke a story first. I guess it's, I mean, you want to have that to your name. I, I, I don't understand that part of it yet. I, I feel like Good. I'd rather just. I want to see good, consistent reporting. I don't really care if you broke that Le'Veon Bell was put on the franchise tag first or not. That's not exactly what I'd be evaluating if I was an employer. But then again, I'm just a dumb 23 year old. Anyways, rant over about sports journalism. The Cousins deal to me, the reported deal to the Vikings, like multiple people close to the organization have since come out and said, no, we didn't. We didn't offer him 91 million across three years, and I think that that's. That is probably more of the report I'd go with at this point, especially since it was just one report, it was unsubstantiated, and then all the networks ran with it. I don't think that Zimmer, being a defensive guy, wants to offer that sum of money to Kirk Cousins. I don't think that he wants to destroy his roster to have a bit, a little bit better of a quarterback. If you looked at the article that I wrote and published to Facebook, it kind of explained the situation a little bit. And they've long been considered one of the front runners, I guess, if you will, to sign Kirk Cousins, one of the landing places that makes sense. It's a very stable franchise. They've built the roster through the draft and from the bottom, and they're in a very good place as far as the roster goes. They have a couple nice wide receivers. They have a good young running back and Dalvin Cook. They could use some uh, help on the offensive and defensive line and in the linebacking core perhaps, but they have an excellent young defense, probably the best defense in the NFC the last couple seasons, and they are certainly one of those trendy teams that's on the up and up. And so I think that would, that along with the Broncos were, I think, the two teams that really jumped out to the forefront earlier on. But when you think about it from the perspective of Zimmer, who's been on record saying that he doesn't want to – he says you got to be careful with that stuff, signing free agents, especially the quarterback position, uh, because he, he he's been on record as saying he doesn't want to – take away from his roster to make one position better. Because then you you negate your ability to then later on, for as long as he's signed to, let's say they do sign him for three and $91 million. Over the next three years, then you're going to be handcuffed, dramatically so, to try to improve some of the other holes that you'll inevitably have on your team the next three off-seasons. And Zimmer's trying to avoid that. They're in a pretty good situation cap-wise. And... When you look at some of the guys that are going to be need to get paid here coming up, if you want to keep players like Anthony Barr, Eric Kendricks, Stephon Diggs, you're going to have to pay them. And 
if you give Kirk Cousins all this money, you're not going to be able to do that. And let's say Kirk Cousins does come for that that amount of money in this hypothetical scenario. Well, then he's probably going to make Diggs better. He's going to make Thielen better. He's going to inflate Diggs' numbers a little bit. Let's say Diggs is he's a 1,000-yard receiver for the next three years. Well, you're not going to be able to bring Diggs back at the price that you maybe could have if uh, you didn't sign Kirk and you didn't turn into this uh, pass-happy offense. Uh, not saying that you want to shorten digs or anything like that. I'm just saying, making the point that you're not going to be able to bring back or re-sign some of your own guys, and you're then going to be sacrificing part of your roster to improve at one position, especially since the Vikings have three free agent quarterbacks, three in-house options that would all be significantly cheaper than Kirk Cousins. I think that's the move I would probably do, especially since Kirk Cousins is trying to kind of double-dip this thing. I, for one, think it's absolutely ridiculous uh, the amount of money that these quarterbacks make. But I, at the same time, understand that's just what it costs in today's NFL when you have a franchise quarterback. And I don't get caught up in the numbers, and I don't think that extending Derek Carr and extending Stafford to these big deals are stupid moves. I think the people that, oh, Stafford's not worth this, Derek Carr's not worth this, That's such an ignorant perspective to have because when you don't have a franchise quarterback in the NFL, you're fired. You're fired. Your life is just completely miserable. Every executive coach I've ever heard has said when you don't have a quarterback in the NFL, your life is miserable. So that's to a degree, that's just what it costs. But there's a fine line to that, right? Kirk Cousins wanting to double dip to me is a little bit of a turnoff as a franchise because if he is only wanting to sign for three years, if that's his stipulation in negotiations, then I'm looking at it as a team. Okay, so I get some of your best years from 30 to 33. And then at that point, though, I then have to repay you a ton of money for the next three years or four years. And then you're getting into that territory where after that contract, you're probably going to be in decline. You'll be 37 years old. So rather than getting one big contract to play the rest of his career, he's trying to kind of double dip it. And from a franchise perspective, it makes it, it's a big risk to take it on because you answer the quarterback position, you get the best guy in the market, you get a top 10 to 12 guy. That's what Kirk Cousins is. I'm a big fan of Kirk Cousins. He's very much in the talk of top 10 quarterbacks, but you only get him for three years. Then you're going to have to either extend him to an incredible sum of money or let him walk. So then let's say you get him for those three years. You are unable to improve your roster. You have to let some of your own players walk because you've given him such a large deal. And then you can't come to terms with him for the next deal you're letting him potentially walk out the door after three years. I just think that that's a big turnoff, and I think it's it's going to be a big factor in who does and who doesn't sign Kirk Cousins. I think the Jets, honestly, are starting to make some more sense, and I, and I don't want to drag on this topic too much longer. I still thought from the onset the Broncos were just a fantastic, fantastic landing spot for him. Denver's a great city. They have an outstanding defense, the best defense in the league. They've already paid most of their guys. It's a pretty veteran locker room, which I think Kirk Cousins would fit well into. I don't think he'd fit as well with a bunch of young guys that haven't gotten paid yet as he would with uh, some Von Millers, uh, some Brandon Marshalls, some Emmanuel Sanders, DT, CJ Anderson signed the extension, the three-year extension, I think it was last season or two 
two seasons ago. So uh, I think he would fit really well in that locker room and create a window, a, a Super Bowl winning window for a couple seasons in Denver. Uh, but for the Jets, I think that makes sense too because they don't have really any expenses right now. They just cut Muhammad Wilkerson, who we'll get to in our uh, news segment. Uh, but they have a lot, they're, they're much closer to the beginning than you are to the end. So I think for Cousins, it would make a lot of sense going to the Jets too because you could sign for three years. See how it goes. If the Jets are still a dumpster fire, then they're not committed to you. You're not committed to them. You can walk then, and it's about winning and playing for a Super Bowl and all that. But if you want to go to the Jets, see for three years. Man, can they build around me? They have a top 10 pick again this season. They drafted Jamal Adams on that defensive side of the ball. He's an absolute stud. You can start building from the ground up this roster and keep improving it. And there's a team that's, again, closer to the beginning than the end, but things turn around really quickly in the NFL. Ryan Pace was on uh, talking about the Bears' rebuild and how you, how you don't really ever fully rebuild in the NFL. Like, it's a very quick turnover process because of the cap. You're allowed to turn over. You can churn over 60% of your roster in a season or two. You know, like, you can completely change your team in a very short amount of time, whereas in other sports it's harder to do that. So... I think that Kirk Cousins going to the Jets, certainly not out of the realm of possibility, although that team has really struggled. Todd Bowles, I think, is a good coach. I think it makes some sense. So that's all we'll talk about the Kirk Cousins thing. It's been the story of the week in the NFL, and it's uh, certainly been the most interesting uh, topic, I think, for me. I, I've, I've enjoyed covering it and following it. So uh, I think a lot more will come to fruition literally in just the coming days. I wouldn't be surprised even if he has narrowed it down or we have a pretty good idea of where he's going to land by March 14th or the next time we come on this podcast. So the other thing I want to talk about real quick uh, are the franchise tag situations. Uh, Ziggy Ansa, as we mentioned, had, had signed. Le'Veon Bell has been franchised by the Steelers. He's none too happy about it. But uh, when you think about it from the Steelers' perspective, I mean, I think it's uh, it's hard to blame them. I, I think that they certainly offer... I, basically, I place the blame more on Bell than I do in the Steelers, and this is just uh, my two cents from a distance. Obviously, I don't, I'm don't. i not in the franchise. I don't know what they offered him, if they lowballed him or anything like that, but I'm sure, I feel like I'm absolutely positive they offered him more than $8 million a year, which is what Devontae Freeman is making with the Falcons, which is the highest paid at the position, especially when you factor into account that Le'Veon Bell has been suspended twice, I believe. He has had injury concerns, and he plays the most volatile position in the NFL. These guys don't last very long. And so uh, their reluctancy to even give him a long-term deal, whatever the number is, I can understand that. For Bell, though, I can under I certainly can understand. I, nobody wants to play under a one-year deal, a make-it-or-break-it deal, where if you don't have a good year, you get hurt, tear your ACL, you have no financial security. So I understand that, but I also think that Le'Veon Bell wanted this gigantic splash deal to just reset the market for running backs. And just, I, I, I think that he, I think that he's a little bit unrealistic in what he's asking for. Uh, the Rams also made a decision on their franchise tag. It came down to LaMarcus Joyner and Sammy Watkins. And they ended up deciding on Joyner. So they will keep Joyner in that defensive backfield to go along with the new acquisition, Marcus Peters. They also stated that they want to sign Sammy Watkins. Unsure if they'll be able to get it done, but that 
especially since it seems like Tremaine Johnson is pretty low on the priority list. He's pretty much gone out of L.A., I think. Uh, now, I said last week I think that them potentially re-signing him could be very interesting if uh, Les Snead wanted to uh, try to pull that off, and especially with Sean McVay and kind of the emphasis that uh, our lack of emphasis they placed on Watkins in the offense last year, uh, I think that it makes more sense to go after uh, maybe re-signing Tremaine Johnson and then have it just a rock-solid secondary of two number one corners back there uh, than it does to try to re-sign Sammy Watkins. But because Watkins came over in a trade, he wasn't able to learn the playbook in spring training. I think that that had a a lot to do with his lack in the offense. I would expect him, if he does remain a Ram, to kind of take on more of a true number one role and be a lot more involved in McVay's offense in 2018 than he was in 2017. Uh, in other news, the Bears have put the transition tag over Kyle Fuller, which uh, gives them a lot of time, a lot of time and flexibility to work out a uh, a long-term deal. I mean, they have till till the summer, uh, mid-July, I believe, July 15th, or even past that, to uh, work out a long-term deal. So, uh, a good move by the Bears. I think that's that's exactly what they need to do to keep uh, Fuller in Chicago. And I think that they clear both sides clearly wanted to stay in Chicago. I think this is one of more of the no-brainers. I think I don't I don't know how uh, confident anybody was that he was actually going to find his way onto the free agent market. But he'll be in Chicago at the very least for one more season. I'd be surprised if they don't work out a long-term deal. Uh, Jarvis Landry and perhaps the most surprising franchise tag was he was tagged by the Dolphins, but Still, again, I don't think that he'll be in a Dolphins uniform. He's been His agent has been given permission by the team to seek and facilitate a trade. And so, again, I wrote about how I think that he would be just a great fit in Matt Nagy's offense for Mitch Trubisky uh, as a slot receiver in Chicago. I think that's still a, a really great possibility. Uh, we'll see if it comes to fruition. So the headline is... Dolphins franchise tag Landry. Don't be fooled by that. I'd be surprised if he was a Dolphin in 2018. Uh, Demarcus Lawrence is the last franchise tag I know of, as the Cowboys have franchise tagged the edge defender who really burst onto the scene in 2017 and was an elite pass rusher. They had to franchise tag him and keep him on the roster. They could not afford to let him get, get to free agency, and they didn't, so uh, good on them. Uh, there's also a couple of trade possibilities. We've had a trade that's been broken. Uh, I want to get to that. And that's, uh, I've heard Robert Quinn's name mentioned a lot. He doesn't really fit the new system, the new defense that, uh, that, that new coaching staff in Los Angeles has brought in. And he's been brought up as somebody that could be traded. I think that he was actually talked about in the Marcus Peters trade as, uh, a, a player to be dealt to the Chiefs. And, uh, that, that ended up obviously not happening. There's a couple other uh, players that were mentioned. One actually was traded today, and that was Michael Bennett. Michael Bennett was sent to the Philadelphia Eagles, reigning Super Bowl champs. The defensive end is in his 30s, and Seattle's trying to get younger. And there, I think you're see, you're going to see, I think, how quickly, again, you can turn over a roster. I think a lot of those guys are going to be gone. They're kind of hitting the reset button in Seattle. They're being forced to by the other teams in their division. We'll talk more about it in a little bit. Uh so, yeah, he, he is now an eagle. They got a fifth rounder and a wide receiver for him, a guy that I think would presumably replace uh, Paul Richardson if he walks in free agency. And then I think they 
they so they got a fifth, but they gave up a seventh. So they they essentially gave him away. Uh, Richard Sherman is reportedly uh, the next one to go. He's coming off an Achilles injury. He's older too at the position. I think that's a guy that. Uh, I would love for the Packers to target if he became available because I think, again, an older guy, I think you could get him at a value pick and he could his leadership and his skill level, even coming off the Achilles injury, if he's 80% of what he was, he's way better than anybody the Packers have on their roster. Gutenkunst said he was going to be aggressive in free agency uh, and on the market. This is a good opportunity for him to show that he uh, is going to do so. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's uh, pretty much all we have. Uh and we are going to now go to the news. This is a new segment that we're going to do to kind of break up the podcast. We will head to the news, and that'll be kind of a a segment that we'll do from now on here. Uh, and then we'll kind of continue on with the second half of the podcast. So here's the news. First up, we have Matt Forte. He's retiring, calling it quits after, uh, I believe it was two seasons with the New York Jets, played the bulk of his career with the Chicago Bears. The Swiss Army Knife is calling it quits, uh, and he, he was really an exceptional player. I think the NFL is really going to miss him. Obviously, he took a big dip in his production once he uh, left Chicago and wasn't exactly the same player. He's fought through uh, injuries, struggled to stay healthy, so... We say goodbye to a, a pretty pretty talented running back in the league. Another guy that's closer to the end in the beginning, John, Jonathan Stewart, has been cut. Uh, long time Carolina Panther running back. Finally, he'll have to find a new home, a new place to play. Uh, Muhammad Wilkerson was cut from the Jets. We mentioned that, I believe, a little earlier in the show. But uh, Muhammad Wilkerson cut and t- took his first visit to the Green Bay Packers today. That's a, that's a big-time win for Brian Gutenkunst uh, to prove that he's actually going to follow through on his word and be aggressive in free agency. As a Packers fan, I like that. He really kind of got his money and quit playing, uh, quit trying for the New York Jets, but I'm not as concerned with that. I think that when you're on a losing football team year in and year out, I think that kind of wears on you and can uh, wear you down. But uh, he's cut. He takes his first visit with Green Bay. He has other schedule, but Green Bay's first. I think that's a good sign for them. I think he'd be just a fantastic fit in Mike, Mike Patin's defense. Uh, Patin overlapped as the defensive coordinator with the Jets when Wilkerson was having some of his best years. So uh, a chance to re-up with his old uh, defensive coordinator if he decides to come to Green Bay. Uh, Frank Gore, another running back, a lot of running backs in the news. He's not going to be re-signed by the Colts. So the Colts are officially in the market for a new starting running back. I heard that there was some interest uh, from the Buffalo Bills, but they have gone in a different direction. They signed Chris Ivory to be the backup there. So finally, you won't have to watch Mike Tolbert be the change of pace back for the Buffalo Bills or if Shady gets hurt uh, in, in, in Buffalo. Uh, the n- next up, we got Steve Kime. The uh, general manager for the Cardinals was on Fox. He was on The Herd with uh, Colin Coward, and he was talking about the Combine. And it, I, I got to tell you, it's nice to be proven right. I told you guys before the Combine, that I kind of hate it because I think that these drills and so there's just a ridiculous amount of emphasis that's put on this and it just has nothing to do with how good you are at football. I said that it was more about the medicals and getting to interview the players than it was anything else. It's nice to be assured and here is Steve Kahn talking about just that. 
the the getting to know the person is the most important part of this process and then the medical information we acquire while we're here as well but I, I tell our scouts all the time many times we go out in the fall and we fall in love with these players on tape and then we confuse ourselves in the spring because the guy jumped uh, a, a certain height or he ran the three cone in a, in a certain time you know unfortunately on Sunday at one o'clock we don't run the three cone so you have to be able to play the game and process information and 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 to me, that's the most important part. <laughs> so there he is, uh, Steve Kahn, uh, GM of the Arizona Cardinals. Man, does he have a job to do in front of him uh, trying to compete in that uh, NFC West. I had the favorite quote <laughs> that he had from that segment was, uh, well, unfortunately, we don't go run out and do the three-cone drill at 1 o'clock on Sundays. I mean, it's so true. <laughs> it's the Underwear Olympics, uh, the NFL Combine. So uh, next up. Some unfortunate news out of the combine. Uh, Ohio State center Billy Price, he injured his shoulder during the breast prench, <laughs> bench press at the combine. They, he had a torn pec, actually underwent surgery earlier this week to repair it. He should be good to go by training camp, but uh, unfortunate as uh, he could take a dive in his stock a little bit. He was considered to be one of the best centers in the draft, on the other side of the rivalry, some other tough news for uh, Michigan defensive interior lineman Maurice Hurst. They found out that he had a heart condition when he was going through his medicals at the Combine. So uh, definitely hope that he, he's okay and can continue playing football. Uh, there is precedence to this, I guess, that there have been some other guys that have had uh, heart issues. Nick Fairley was one uh, with the Lions and then the Saints. And so it's something that will for sure have to be monitored. Uh, I think it'll definitely hurt his draft stock. I mean... It's just such an unfortunate thing. Uh, moving on, we have the the Rams GM, Les Snead. He was on the herd as well, uh, talking about Jared Goff and the process that they went in evaluating quarterbacks. They knew they had a need. They weren't picking number one initially, if you remember. They actually traded up to get him. So here's him talking about uh, their process of finding Jared Goff, how they went about it. We actually made our first visit to North Dakota and to Berkeley less than a week after the combine. So the weekend after the combine ended, we, we were in North Dakota, we were in Berkeley beginning our work. Now at that time, we had to figure out, hey, do we like one of these QBs? And oh, by the way, if we do like one of these, if we think one of these QBs is going to be our answer, then now we got to go move up and get him. So we started acting fast. But if you're even in anybody's discussion, of whether they should be drafted at number one or four or where or first round for a QB. Guess what? All these guys have a certain level. They're above the Mendoza line in talent. Now I think what is going to help those guys reach their potential, exceed their potential, be successful is, hey, the human being, the person. And that's what you really got to go dive into. Yeah, so there's Les Snead. He's done a fantastic job hiring Coach McVay and really turning around that team. Uh, so not, not really – much as much news there, but I think a really interesting insight into kind of how that process works for those of you that don't know. I mean, I certainly don't know. Uh, what goes into finding these quarterbacks? We've talked so much about the quarterbacks in this, uh, in this draft class, and so I think that uh, the, him showing what they went through with Goff just, you know, a couple seasons ago, that's something that you can expect. That kind of gives you a look into what's going to be happening as these teams evaluate the quarterbacks. And it's not just the guys, it's not just the Giants, it's not just the Browns that have those top picks. You never know who's going to come up and trade up for you. Uh, next up, we have the uh, pass interference rule and the catch rule are being looked at by the NFL Competition Committee. Uh, I expect that they are going to change the catch rule. In fact, I've heard rumblings that 
yes, indeed, there is going to be a change that would uh, kind of overturn some of these plays and create a little bit uh, of a difference in how it is called. At the college level, they actually have already approved that you can now call a fair catch on a kickoff outside of the end zone and get the ball at the 25 regardless of where you caught it. So another step in kind of reducing the kickoff uh, from from the game. I'm not. A, I'm, if I'm going to be honest with you guys, I'm not. A, I'm not a huge fan of of the rule. I wish they'd just take it out. To, to take it out completely. Just give give the opposing team the ball on the 25 yard line, unless the team opts to go for an onside kick or something like that. It's just kind of a waste of time at this point. Uh, I feel like if you after you've scored, you then have the option place team on opposing. Place team on their twenty-five to start the drive or attempt an onside kick. They should just the official should just come over, ask the coach, give you the option. He says put it on the twenty-five. Then we just go because it's just getting to be a waste of time and effort. And I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a giant fan of it. Uh, so lastly, I want to play a soundbite of uh, Brian Gutenkunst's combine interview. He was talking about the importance of the combine, and again, he kind of echoes some of the things that. Uh, the uh, Cardinals GM said. So here's Brian Gutenkunst for the Packers. No, this is a, this is an important part of of the entire equation. Obviously, there's a medical component that's a big you know big part of it. Um, and then you know this is the first time you know for us that we've gotten to put our hands and talk to the, a lot of these prospects. Um, you know, the first time we've been able to do that. So trying to find out their wiring, will they fit into our locker room? And there's there's a, there's a ton of those things that we're going through right now. So it's an exceptionally important week. Um, the tape doesn't change, you know. There, you know that that stays the same, um, but there's a, there, this part of it is is uh, important. The way we've always looked at it is like if it's something different than we saw on tape, then we need to go back to the tape. You know what I mean? Um, but if it matches up with what we saw on tape, then you know, we must have seen it the right way. So, so I, I I played that in addition to Kimes' piece because I think it just goes to show you. I mean, there's two NFL GMs I just pulled right there that said. Yeah, the combine's important because we get a chance to look at their medicals, and we get to talk to the guys. We get to find out what kind of people they are. We get to interview them. It's not not once does anybody say, yeah, we get to see them run the 40. We get to see them do DB drills. We get to see how they throw the slant pattern and how their mechanics look. You know, of course, all that stuff factors in, and uh, he, he uses something that uh, that's kind of how I feel about the combine, is what I look at is if you looked fast on tape, and then you run like a 4-7, well, then i got to go back to the tape then. Now, I just look to see if you're a fast guy, do, do you look fast at the combine? So uh, he does talk a little bit about that, but that's, I think, the extent of, of really how it goes. And don't be fooled by the mainstream media and all these reports. And people are talking about how Barkley's going to go number one now because he just absolutely blew everyone away at the combine. We knew he was a, just an absolute freak well before he stepped on the field at the Combine. I told you guys that I think he's pretend, he, he has a lot of Barry Sanders. He's like Barry Sanders in 2017. That's essentially the kind of guy he is. And so none of this is new. Nothing should have changed from a couple weeks ago to now. But now you're talking about how, oh, well, he's going to go number one overall. And no, stop. The Browns would just, I think it's nonsense that for the Browns to take him at number one. We just talked about how Le'Veon Bell can't even get big money now because uh, of the volatility of the position and how hard it is to play that position for a long time. And you talk about the level of dependency. Everybody likes to make the Zeke comparison. Well, Zeke walked into the best offensive line in football. 
Leonard Fournette walked into a very good offensive line. And you saw this past season, the holes weren't there for Zeke. I mean, I, I had the guy on my fantasy team. He got stuffed at the line an awful lot. Uh, so the level of dependency for a running back, I mean, he needs a good line. He needs good blocking. So you're not going to take a place such a high level of importance on a guy that's dependent on the performance of others, if that makes any sense. So we'll shift for that. So it, even though I'm taught, so I'm about to, you would think, contradict myself. And I'm going to give you my big board of the top five players I think are in the draft. And Barkley is number one. So you say, well, he's the best player in the draft. Why shouldn't I take the best player in the draft? Well, for the reasons I just outlined, that he, he plays running back, and you need a quarterback. That's the, that's the only reason. I mean, if, if we were in a league where it was three yards in a cloud of dust, and I could guarantee that he could turn my franchise around, yeah, I'd take him number one. Like, if running backs were the end-all, be-all, not the quarterback, yeah, he'd be the clear number one pick, and it wouldn't even be close. But it's not. The, there's a hierarchy of dependency that uh, my boy, NFL or sorry, college football analyst uh, Joel Klatt graduated from uh, Colorado, the Buffaloes. He was a quarterback for them. He talks about a hierarchy of dependency that starts with the offensive line. And if you have a good offensive line, that allows that that's the that's the start. If your quarterback doesn't have time to throw, he's not going to be do very well. He's not able to do his thing. And so it's like kind of this stepping. This pyramid of, well, if this position group is good, then this position group can be good, and so on and so forth. And the running backs are basically at the bottom of that, okay? Uh, and so that is why the running back it j- just doesn't have a lot of value in today's pass-happy NFL league. It's just the reality of it. So Barkley is my number one guy. I think he is... Better than Ezekiel Elliott. He's a better prospect than Ezekiel Elliott. He's a better prospect than Todd Gurley. I think he is potentially going to be the most talked about and most uh, electrifying prospect since Reggie Bush came out of USC. And I think that you could even maybe go beyond that. I think that he... My comparison for him is Barry Sanders. He is so electrifying. And he's a home run hitter. And that's why he's number one. But here's here's one thing that I want to tell you guys about Saquon Barkley because I think the narrative's getting shifted around because he's he's not like Ezekiel Elliott in a lot of uh, respects. He's not like a Zeke or Fournette. Those are big power runners. That's not his game at all. Obviously, he's he has the intangibles. He checks off your uh, height and weight marks. He ran a four three. Uh, no, he ran a four four. Well, he ran fast. Okay, he ran fast. Tested well, jumped high, jumped far, benched out of his ass, uh, and was just overall incredibly impressive. But he is not a guy that gets a ton of carries a game. At Penn State, he was only over 20 carries a couple times because they get him the ball in creative ways. They use him on kickoffs. They use him out of the backfield in the passing game. So he has not proven that he's going to be a 25-30 carry guy like some of these other guys that are in the NFL. So I don't think that comparison is very fair. He's a home run hitter, for sure. That is what he gives you. But he's not this workhorse in the sense that I think everybody else has talked about him about. He has had games against uh, Big Ten opponents and even out of the conference where he his yards per carry has been like under 3.5 or something like that. And so one of those games I think was against Rutgers. And uh, 
So you have to you have to look at that. Like I and it, I think again, it shows the hierarchy of dependency. The Michigan game, for example, since I'm a Michigan fan, I remember in that game he had I think 106 yards rushing, but most of it was on one play. He had like a 65 yard run. Well, he that's I think is why a home run hitter is a more adequate. Uh, uh, tag for him. He's not this workhorse that's going to give you 30 carries a game where you just give it to him on third and one, just kind of just continue to pound him in the run game. He's an electrifying, explosive back that can hit home runs out of the backfield. Now, I think that he certainly can be a workhorse. That's that's the, the thing where I think that interpretation is right. If you want to give him 20 to 25 carries a game, I think he'll be able to handle that. But I would compare him much more to the way that the Cardinals use David Johnson than to the way that the Cowboys and the Jags have used Zeke and Fournette. Next up is uh, Nelson, Quentin Nelson, the guard from Notre Dame. Uh, I've heard scouts just laughing, describing like his ability. Like he's just buried people, play after play after play. Like they laugh talking about it because he's done so well. I've talked to, not I have talked to, but I've seen multiple people that had are scouts or coaches that have him number one on their board. They think he's the best player. He's number two for me. I put Barkley a little bit of ahead of him. Maybe it's just that offensive line bias. I think Barkley's just ridiculous. Number three for me is Minka Fitzpatrick, the D-back from Alabama. I think he's exceptional. He, it, it, there's These guys are all such high floor players to me. And so uh, I, I think he, I think he's unreal. The, the one, now we're getting to number four here, and he, here's one – the one surprise maybe I have on here, it's Rokon Smith from Georgia, the middle linebacker. He, he's unbelievable. He runs sideline to sideline. He fills holes. He pops up on tape. Uh, he, he's without a doubt the best linebacker in this class to me. There's been a lot of talk as of late about uh, the, the player from Virginia Tech, Edmonds. Uh, I think he's kind of the trendy hot pick right now, but I think Smith doesn't get quite enough credit, man. He is an exceptional football player, a top 10 worthy pick all the way, and I think that he's going to make whoever drafts him very happy, and I've I got to tell you, I don't know if he'll go in the top 10 of the draft. A lot of people have him mocked right at 10 to the Raiders. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes higher than that because, I mean, to me, he, he's he's fourth for me. I, I, I mean, obviously need, because of need, court, there are going to be quarterbacks selected up there, uh, but as far as just pure talent goes, I think Roquan Smith is just exceptional. And rounding out at five for me is uh, Bradley Chubb from NC State, best pass rusher in the draft. Uh, he's probably going to be a top five pick. Pass rusher is starting to be more and more a position of value uh, in the NFL. I mean, kind of the most valuable uh, position on the defensive side of the ball, uh, as, as it has been. But I, I think you're starting to see, again, uh, how much a, a good, having a good pass rusher, an elite pass rusher, can elevate your team. So but Bradley Chubb, fifth for me, I think he'll go top five. Last thing that we want to get into today is the AFC and the NFC West. It's our turn to, uh, as we're kind of breaking out of the divisions here, it's the West's turn, and we've talked a lot. We, I strategically picked all those uh, NFC West coaches uh, because, A, they kind of had newsworthy comments, but, B, because they're in the West and we're talking about the West today. So uh, I think that there is a trend in the NFC West. It, there's two groups of teams. It's the 49ers and the Rams. Young, talented, lots of cap space. And then there's the two team there two other teams. Old, expensive, not a lot of room to kind of kind of grow, right? They have players that have that have 
big contracts on their team already. You look at the at the Cardinals. They are pretty old. <laughs> Carson Palmer, who obviously isn't going to be back. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald on the defensive side of the ball. They've had Patrick Peterson, Tyron Matthew for years. Uh, and so they're a team that I think, like the Seahawks, who is going to have to change, change some things up. Uh, the Seahawks, again, old, not a lot of cap room. Uh, and you see they're already trying to, to rectify that. So I, I break it up into two categories there for me. Uh, I think the 49ers, with the, the room that they have, and I think John Lynch is a competent guy. Obviously, you got to wait and see what their roster looks like come summer. But I think just pro- projecting here, the guys they're going to be able to bring in in free agency in the draft – I think they're going to win that division next season. Uh, uh, I mean, again, projecting, I, I'm not, I don't give my final picks until, like, right before the season. But early on, like, that's how I'm fi- I think the Rams will take a little bit of a step back. Everybody has a full year of tape on McVay in that offense, and everything seemed to go right for them. They didn't have an injury. They were able to keep everybody healthy. What would have happened if Todd Gurley went down for the season when they'd be the same team? I don't think everything will go right for them again. I think that you're going to see what happened to the Cowboys a little bit. It's harder in year two when teams have a have a year of film on you. You got to kind of re- continually reinvent yourself, and uh, some of those uh, gimmicky things that you were able to accomplish in year one, teams are going to be wise to that and catch on. You're going to have to get by more on your actual talent ability, and we'll see more of what Jared Goff is made of. So I think that they'll take a step back. I think they still could be a wild card or a playoff team for sure. And again, I wouldn't be surprised if they won the division. The those two young teams, I think, are going to be at the forefront for me. The Seahawks. And the Cardinals have to completely reinvent themselves. The Cardinals could miss out on some of the top free agent talent uh, at the quarterback position, in which case they're going to be really shuffling. They could have a rookie quarterback in Baker Mayfield or Josh Allen or Rosen or Darnold if they trade up to get one of those guys. Uh, so they're a team that I think is going to be at the back end, along with the Seahawks. I mean, I think I, I, I told you guys at the beginning and all throughout the season of the podcast, I mean, the Seahawks' window is kind of closing here. I mean, they're kind of done. That defense is old, expensive, they're getting hurt, and they're starting to dish everybody away. Uh, they still have a really good quarterback in Russell Wilson, which is why I just I don't think it's com- the door's completely shut, but they have to be creative. Uh, Snyder and, uh, and Pete Carroll are going to have to really be creative in how they build this roster from this point forward because they have a ton of holes and not a lot of cap room to fix it. In the AFC West, you have the uh, division reigning Chiefs, uh, the Raiders, the Chargers, and the Broncos, obviously. Uh, for the Broncos, they could end up with Kirk Cousins as their quarterback next season, in which case I think that they, they become instantaneously a team to be reckoned with at the top of the division. I think the Raiders, their, their division that was considered very strong, and now they're a division that has just a ton of question marks. Uh, the Chiefs have gotten rid of Alex Smith. They're about to start. You might as well call him a rookie quarterback. It'll be second-year Patrick Mahomes. It'll be his first year starting. He played one game in Week 17. Looks really good, by the way. But we have no idea what they're going to look like next year, uh, especially on the offensive side of the ball. They've they've had a lot of change. They brought in Kendall Fuller, but they dealt away Marcus Peters. Uh, They're going to have a new starting quarterback. They lost their offensive coordinator in Matt Nagy, who's now the head coach of the Bears. They have a ton of question marks on that team. and I, They're another team I think is going to take a step back. Uh, we'll have to see what happens with Cousins and the Broncos. And again, immediately, if it's between the Vikings and the Broncos to me, look at the quarterbacks you're going to have to face in the West rather than what you'd have to go through if, you're, if you choose the Vikings. 
If, I mean, if you truly want to win, which ultimately isn't that what football is about, you have to go through Rodgers every year just to win the division, let alone a Super Bowl. And if not, you're playing for a wild card spot just off the bat right there, not to mention Mitch Trubisky will be in year two with a new offensive-minded head coach that's going to come in and revamp that system. They have another top 10 pick. They've been accumulating these young players. They're on the up and up. The Lions got a new new coach too, a uh, defensive-minded guy, but they also have another. They also have a franchise quarterback. Uh, every team in that division has a franchise guy at this point. Um, if you, whereas if you go out west, yes, you have Derek Carr, which I think is, the, I guess, the West's equivalent to Matt Stafford. But then you have Patrick Mahomes, a rookie quarterback. We have no idea what he's going to look like for the Chiefs. And then you have Philip Rivers, who is aging out in Los Angeles. I think the Chargers actually are poised to win that division next season, just looking at it from the onset. I think the Raiders have a lot of questions they need to get answered. They were a gigantic disappointment in 2017. And they 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 have to do some soul-searching. The Broncos were at 5-11. and 11. If they don't get Kirk Cousins, again, they are probably poised to be bottom feeders again. If they, They're going to be bottom feeders until they answer that quarterback question. Now, if they are able to get Rosen, who I think that's a great possibility. If they don't get Cousins, I really think Elway likes Rosen a lot and could trade up to get him in the draft. Or let's maybe he gets lucky and Rosen falls to him at five. But if they don't answer that quarterback question, they're going to be the bottom feeders for, I mean, until they answer that question. Uh, then you have, so we mentioned the Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes. We mentioned the Raiders. And then it's the Chargers. I think they have another year or two to kind of do some damage before they they have to then answer the quarterback question because Phillip Rivers isn't going to be playing forever. Phillip Rivers also, like, I guess there's a little subjectivity. I'm not his biggest fan. I mean, I don't think I'd call him a top 10 quarterback. He just makes too many mistakes and doesn't get it done enough in crunch time for me to call him that. But obviously, he's a franchise guy. He's been exceptional his entire career uh, with the Chargers. So uh, they have a nice young roster. They really got it together in the second half of the season and improved. So uh, I think the 49ers and the Chargers are early front runners to win their divisions. And I think that there's a lot of intrigue and a lot to be answered in the coming weeks. So that's going to do it for our show. As always, thank you for making me a part of your week. I really appreciate it. Uh, Stop in by the Rewind, share it with your friends. Uh, Give me any feedback as always, whether you want to hear things talked about if you have criticisms that's all good for me so uh signing off for now i'm zach sook thanks for listening